You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. When it comes to actors, we really are part of a family and community with one another. And no matter how long or how short a time we've been in this business, there's always something we can learn from each other. I mean, it really is the basis of this podcast. And today's guest is a perfect example of this. For the most part, Chloe Noel is just your average teenager who loves games, movies, and time with her friends. But Chloe's first big acting job came on the huge hit show, True Blood. And while it was certainly a big juggernaut for her career, in today's episode, she shares how it came with expectations of what kind of actress she should be. At the beginning of my career, I was definitely a bit more successful. I was able to get a lot of different roles. And then as I got older, it really slowed down. And then I started to think, like, is there something wrong with me? Like, have I gotten too confident in myself and now I'm not good? Hello and welcome to Why I'll Never Make It or Win Me for short. One of Feedspot's top 25 theater podcasts. I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, and this is the second in a three-episode series on young artists, focusing on the struggles and experiences specific to child performers. The website is whyillnevermakeit.com. There you can sign up for the monthly Win Me newsletter. You can show your support for this podcast and get access to members-only episodes. And you'll also find special offers and resources to help you in your artistic journey. All that and more can be found at whyillnevermakeit.com. Most actors start performing at a young age. For me, it was church and school productions, in addition to concerts and solo performances, But I'm talking with a young lady today who was cast in one of the biggest TV shows back in 2011 at the age of nine. Chloe Noel would go on to appear in three seasons of that hit series, as well as other TV shows and movies. In our conversation today, we discuss the ups and downs of her young career and how she continues to grow with each new role and performance she gives. She's done classic musicals, had her own segment on a morning news show, and has even performed stand-up for Comedy Central. Chloe has certainly done a lot in the last 10 years and shares with us what she's learned during that time, as well as the sometimes difficult journey it's been. Now, we recorded this interview back in February, so I am very glad to finally present this remarkable and bright young lady with a lot of wisdom to offer all of us. Welcome, Chloe. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It's it's so nice. It's so nice meeting. And, 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 and I love the fact that I get to bring on someone who's younger, just starting out. Well, not just starting out in the career, but still young in your career. Mm-hmm. And when did acting for you go from something that you enjoyed doing, like a, a passion, a hobby of yours, to actually one that you saw a career in? Well, the way I started out was through um, live theater and musical theater. And I have pretty much been performing my entire life. 
anytime there was any chance to volunteer and go up on stage, I was always the first one to raise my hand. I love performing. And so it's kind of always been a part of a part of my life. And then I got into professional theater and through there, people were like, oh, you should do commercials and stuff because you have a lot of energy and you have a really great personality that I think would show really well in the professional aspect. And so I decided to get commercial agent. And then from there, I got a like theatrical agent and then a manager. And my first ever real job was a Kool-Aid commercial. And I was probably about six or seven at that point. And so from there, I just realized that I really enjoy it, enjoyed acting. And so I just continued it as a professional career. Nice. Nice. I love that. And, and some of your first experiences, as you said, in front of the camera were with commercials. So mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, what did they teach you about uh, production, about on-camera performance and techniques and, and preparing you for what became your TV film career? I think it is just so interesting the the different aspects of the set and how everyone works together to create a 15 second commercial. And it really introduced me to like the camera and the lighting and also how to behave on set, because obviously I was a very excited little six-year-old. So it taught (laughs) me how to kind of be professional and work with adults in a way that, you know, I wasn't some annoying little kid. I was a professional actor on set and how to really use my energy in a way that's beneficial to everyone on set, not running around the set when we're not filming, but still being excited and energetic when the cameras are on. Did you find that it was hard to kind of switch that off and kind of be this, okay, professional actor now on set as opposed to, you know, a a a fun-loving six-year-old? It, it was at first, but luckily my mom was really good. She wasn't like the type of mom that would just be like, oh, here, take your iPad or your phone and then just play your games. Um, she had me do a lot of really fun stuff on set. Like we would play like I Spy for like different things on set. Or I really got into like knitting and crocheting, which was something to help me like focus while also staying in my seat, not running around. And uh, as a little girl... and. As, as my age, I really enjoyed the uh, trips to craft services. Oh, was it? yes. Yeah, that, that's always one of my first trips. Anytime I'm on set, where's craft mm-hmm. services? So I can kind of get the lay of the land. Yeah, you got to look but, out. Of, okay, I want that and that and that. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, now it was just a few years after you you started commercials and, and getting into TV film that True Bloods came up for you. Uh, yes. what, what was that? What was that process and audition like for you? The audition, I remember it, I was very young, so I don't remember too much, but I do remember that Alan Ball, which is the creator of the show, brought his dogs. And I was so excited because there were dogs in the audition room. And um, I think that that might have helped me a little bit showing my love for animals because I did have to work with uh, quite a few animals on set. Um, I don't remember too much, like I said, about the audition process, but I remember I was so excited when I got it, but my parents were even more excited because they were huge fans of the show. Now, have you and watched so, the show? Because it, you no, know, it's not exactly a, a show for kids. <laughs> I still haven't seen it. I've watched my clips and I watched like a few little snippets of the show, but I'm thinking about watching it semi soon. Now that I'm 18, I'm old enough to watch it, right, but I hadn't right. seen it before. Yeah, yeah that, that, but you knew of the, you know, how big the show was and it was mm-hmm. a big deal for, for you to be on it as well. 
Yeah, I remember we had been to Comic-Con a few times and everyone was lining up for all like the True Blood panels and autographs. And my parents were like kind of interested in going to the panels and stuff. And so I knew that it was a big deal. I've heard people talk about it before. I've heard my parents talk about it, my grandparents talk about it. So I knew that it was a big deal and it was really exciting. Now I'm I'm curious, you know, even though you know it's 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 pretend, it's play acting, mm-hmm. but did it ever like scare you the actual filming of your scenes? Not really. Ever since I was little, I've loved horror and anything scary. I still love it. And <laughs> I remember one time we were like filming in like the I forgot what it's called, like the vampire headquarters. I, I'm sure that's wrong, but that's what I thought it was when I was little. And when the vampires die in True Blood, they turn into this like goop. And I actually got to see like the goop. And it was like this like piece of plastic that they just picked up and like set down. And uh, they put ramen noodles and like cherry sauce. And that was like, you know, the blood and guts. And it was it was really fun because my mom had asked if I could like go see it. And so I was never really scared then um, because my my people on set and my parents always did a really good job of explaining like, oh, here's this and this. And uh Editing helps a lot. There's a lot of special effects I saw <laughs> that sure, were yeah. pretty fake, but editing helps a lot. Well, and also because you're getting to see behind the scenes, you, you're getting to see that these things aren't really real. And, mm-hmm. uh, and and as a young kid, you're kind of part of that fantasy and make-believe of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty fun. And getting to see everyone get dressed up in their like blood and gore in the makeup chair next to me also helped a lot with realizing it wasn't real. Yeah. Now, now, True Bloods, you know, you got your start in, in theater. So True Bloods was certainly a departure from your early stage work, yeah. like Annie, Sound of mm-hmm. Music. You know, th- these are very yeah. wholesome, traditional musicals. What what was that transition like for you going from these kind of wholesome movies to more TV film, serious stuff? It was, it was definitely tough. Um, I had to do a lot of crying and a lot of situations where I was like kidnapped or we were like free fleeing from bad people. And um, it was tough because my mom had to talk about like really sad and serious stuff with me in order to get me to cry. And it was, it was definitely different. It was a new experience, but it has kind of helped me in the long run with like recognizing my emotions and, being in control of my emotions and it's made crying on command pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that is interesting. How how has being on on a show like True Bloods, which is certainly very different from your own life, how how has that affected you personally, both as as an actress, but also as a as a person yourself? Well, I have to say that it had a really good effect on me. It, it helped me a lot in just my career because even as a little girl, it taught me when to be professional and when I could really just share my like fun, loving, spunky self. And that is, I know, really going to help me in the long run when I, you know, really focus on my career. And it's helped me grow up and also have a lot of unique experiences that not a lot of people got to have. I made a lot of really fun friends uh, through True Blood. I 
it was just a really lovely experience. I got to get really close with my mom, which is something that I really, really appreciate because she was always the one on set with me. I made really good friends with my studio teachers who I still kind of talk to today. So it was a very, very nice experience. I don't really look back on it and say, oh, well, I wish that this and this and this had happened because it's kind of the path that I was supposed to go down. And I really appreciate the experiences I got from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine, you know, to be on such a big show at such an early age really did kind of set the groundwork, you know, for mm-hmm. the career that you're that you're building for yourself now. And and I'm curious, what did you enjoy most about that experience in True Bloods? Well, I really loved getting to work with Sam and Janina because they were so nice and they kind of took care of me. They were like my set parents, and they took really good care of me. But everyone on set was so nice to me. And I did a lot of learning because I was always very interested in everything on set. And I would talk to the sound guys and the camera guys of why they were doing the things they were doing. And they were so excited to tell me about their jobs. So I was able to learn a lot about the film industry and the TV Mm. industry. And I have to say that that's probably my favorite part because I've always been interested in directing and cinematography and sound design. I think it's really, really interesting. And being exposed to it at such a young age has really only fueled that interest. What do you miss about that experience or or something that you look for in other projects that that you hope are like your experience with True Bloods? I have to say, because that was really my first like big project. And I kind of miss the excitement of like, we're on a set. Like everything was so new. And so I really miss that initial like first experience, that brand new excitement. And you still get that excitement because it's a new project and you're on set, but there was something about it that really just felt magical. I bet, I bet. And mm-hmm. and while you were you were with True Bloods, you actually got to do a, a film called Prodigy Bully, which yes. was then which was then going to be turned into a sitcom on Fox, but but yeah. but that never got past the the pilot episode. Yeah, I, I'm curious how you dealt with that disappointment of the hype of oh another big show and then it didn't pan out. It was it was tough, and there was a lot of logistics because if I had gotten if it it had gone past the pilot episode, they would have had to like lessen my role on True Blood and they would have had to do a bunch of stuff. But I was really disappointed because I loved my role on Prodigy Bully. My TV family was so fun. We had a great time filming filming the, uh, the episode together. And that was the first time that I really got to do something with kids my age. And we got to um, run around the Warner Brothers set and we had a really fun time. And our studio teacher was the same from when I was filming on True Blood. And it would have been really fun to continue making those friendships with my my TV friends and my TV family. And so it was it was hard to get over the fact that that wasn't going to happen. But I tried to tell myself, you know, there's, there's going to be more opportunities and this didn't happen for a reason. Um, Cause I think it would have been really sad for them if it, if it went on and then, you know, it got canceled, that would have been even more devastating, right. but I am happy to say, I think we got replaced by the Mindy project, which is show was, which was a show that went which on for great many, yeah. many years. Right. So I was like relieved that it wasn't like a show that like was on for a, a, a season and then got canceled. It was at least a show that had a very long life. 
Now, the Prodigy Bully, True Bloods, again, two very different kinds of shows and, and different kind of characters for you. And what is your process of, of getting into character? Are you able to just kind of snap into one? Like, okay, now I'm going to be funny. Okay, now I'm going to be serious and somber. Do you have a process for going back and forth between those kind of character types? I have to say that Emma and Molly were very similar to who I am. And so it wasn't really like snapping from, oh, you know, one character to the next. It was more finding a part of myself that was most like that character and then just taking on that role of really channeling that aspect of myself that could be a little bit more dramatic and sad or being a little bit more funny and outgoing because I really like to have fun. I'm very outgoing. That's pretty much who I am. So that was very easy for Prodigy Bully, but it was a bit harder to tap into that serious, dramatic side of myself, especially at such a young age, um, for Emma, for True Blood. And speaking of of doing different kinds of, of character work, you also, from what I understand, you tried your hand at stand-up comedy for a while. <laughs> how, yep. did, how did that go? That was, I have to say, probably one of my favorite roles. I absolutely, I've always wanted to do more stand-up comedy because I really enjoy making people laugh, which is funny because so much of my career has been very like dramatic and somber. (laughs) And so (laughs) I really enjoyed getting to uh, perform at the Fillmore with Kristen Shaw because I got to fly up to San Francisco and I got to stay in this really cool hotel room and I got driven around San Francisco. I felt like a movie star. (laughs) (laughs) But it was so much fun because Kristen was so nice and so sweet. And I've still become, I've become friends with her and I've met her, met up with her at a few times at like Comic-Con and different conventions. And she is so sweet. And she really took time to talk with me about like how to not be nervous on stage and how to like land jokes. And she even came into my room because we did two performances. She came into my room after the first one. She was like, oh my gosh, you did a great job. She's like, remember though, you want to wait for the audience to finish laughing before you start telling your next joke, which I thought was really nice that she came in and gave me like genuine critique instead of just being like, oh, great job. Because it is nice to know where you can improve and how you can give your best performance. And I just had a wonderful time. It was so much fun. I have to say it was probably my favorite role. Now, now were there any jokes that maybe didn't land as well as others? No, I think, well, they were excellent writers. Of course. (laughs) So, and I think a lot of people, they really played on the fact that I was, you know, the tiniest little girl ever telling these sort of suggestive jokes. You know, I'm looking back and I was like, man, what was I saying back there? Um, but no, they were, it was all in good fun and it really landed well with the audience. And I'm going to brag a little bit and say that I was very confident in my performance and I felt like I did a really good job. And um, I think it, I think it all went pretty well. I think I got a lot of laughs. And when it comes to, to acting, uh, Yes, we do. As, as you said, you're, for for True Bloods and for Prodigy Bully, you were tapping into parts of yourself. Mm-hmm. But there's something about being, you know, stand-up comedy. It is it is you. It is all you. That mm-hmm. you're not playing a character. You're actually just playing Chloe. And I'm curious, was that more difficult for you, or did you find yourself even more at home getting to play just yourself on stage? I felt right at home. I was super comfortable. And I think that's probably why it was my favorite role. 
And I assume that the, it's much the same with the Comic-Con, that yes, you're, you've gone there, mm-hmm. you know, because of the shows you've been a part of, but you're going there as Chloe. Does that mm-hmm. ever, um, does that ever get weird with the, with the, uh, the people that come? I'm just curious how, how they interact with you. It is a little strange. I remember back when True Blood was on and I was, I think it was like probably season five or six. So I was already like well-established in the show. People would come up and be like, oh my gosh, Emma. And then I'd be like, yeah, nice to meet you. I'm Chloe. And then they'd only refer to me as Emma. I was like, okay. (laughs) So that can be a little, a little strange. Um, And so, and I think because obviously you can meet a lot of people at Comic-Con and I got to meet tons of voice actors from my favorite cartoons and stuff. And it kind of reminded me like, oh, I know how they feel. Like to not be like, oh, can you only talk in your like character's voice and stuff like that? Like they're still them. And I think it's gotten, it's helped me really understand how to talk to other actors and be like, okay, put yourself in their shoes. You know what it's like. It's a little awkward. And so, yeah, it's, it's a little weird when people just refer to me as my character's name. Now, did you have any fangirl moments yourself of of meeting people that you looked up to or, or or big stars that you loved? Oh yeah! In fact, I'm. I have to say, I was really sad when I. This is gonna sound weird, but when I met Kristen Shaw, I only knew her for a few roles. And now that I've gotten older, I know her from Gravity Falls and Bob's Burgers is one of my favorite shows. And I like wish I watched those shows when I met her because I would have totally fangirled. Um, but no, there's definitely lots of people um, that I've met and I've had a total fangirl moment. I met Neil Patrick Harris once and I freaked out. <laughs> what was that situation or event that you met him? Well, I actually was at the Frozen premiere, which was really cool. And he was there and I went up to him and I was like shaking. I was so nervous. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. He's like, oh, thanks. Do you don't need to cry? And I'm like, no, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to need to cry right now because yeah. I need to, you know, enjoy this moment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Because do you mostly, um, do you mostly see the, you know, the, these stars, these celebrities, do you mostly know and see them from TV and film? Or are you also seeing them, you know, like Neil Patrick Harris, he's certainly had a, a good Broadway mm-hmm. and stage career as well. Yeah. Um, I have to say that I, I definitely, definitely am a musical theater nerd. Um, my friend got to meet Lin-Manuel Miranda and I was so jealous. Um, I love Hamilton. I love all different musicals. And so that definitely is my list of stars is like musical theater and then TV and film. And I'm also a huge nut for animated TV shows. I love animated shows. I still watch them to this day. They're probably my favorite things to watch. And so voice actors they are like stars to me i love meeting voice actors especially um i've met tom kenny quite a few times he's super super nice and it's really cool because hearing his normal speaking voice you can hear the voices of his different characters kind of all blend together and that was such a fun experience getting to meet him Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And Spongebob, that was uh, mm-hmm. that was that was turned into yet another musical. Yeah, yeah which I really enjoyed. <laughs> Do you see yourself getting back on the stage and, and doing musicals again, whether Broadway or regionally? I would love to. In fact, right before the, the whole pandemic hit, I was going to audition for a musical at my local professional theater. And 
I was, I was so excited and then everything happened. But when I when I get my vaccine and everything is done, I'm definitely going to try to pursue some musical theater. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, believe me, it's something that we're all waiting for to, to start back up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with True Bloods being this this big mega hit, and it was really your your first time uh, on camera and, and being a part of such a big show, do you think that that kind of set a standard for the kind of work that you want to do? Or if you wonder, will I ever get that kind of big status again? It's tough to say because True Blood definitely felt different than some of the other things, but I noticed that it all is kind of very similar. The production was definitely bigger on True Blood, but it's still not like totally different from the other things that I've done. And I have to say that I really would like to pursue voice acting in my career. I'd love to be, like I said, on an animated show or do voice work for video games. Um, But I noticed that it would be interesting to be on something really big again. That would be fun. Uh, But I also get a little bit nervous because like, the whole like fame and like glitz and glam like is a little bit intimidating. And I remember when I was on True Blood, I was going to a lot of premieres and going on red carpets. And it's it's really, really different than people think because there's so many things that you need to think of even when you're on a red carpet. You're like, okay, does my hair look good? Am I smiling weird? Is, what, do I, what should I do with my hands? Is my outfit all okay? Do I have toilet paper stuck to my shoe? Like there's so many things that you need to think about while putting on this, you know, facade of like some celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Does it feel like its own performance when you're going to these events, whether Comic-Con, red carpet or anything else? Definitely. Definitely. And especially doing like interviews and everything. It's, it's tough. Cause I remember I would go to premieres and, and walk down the interview line and some people would just ask the weirdest questions that feel like they came out of nowhere. And you have to kind of put yourself in like, okay, I need to think of a really good answer, like super fast. And so that's definitely hard. And it, it, it definitely takes some practice and its own kind of training. And I feel like there's acting classes, but there should be like red carpet classes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, now I got to know what, what are some of these weird or strange questions you got? I don't, uh, it's hard to pinpoint exactly what I feel like I was at like some sort of Batman 50th anniversary for the Hollywood museum. And this guy asked like a super specific question about like one thing that happened on like the Batman TV show. I was like, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And I could tell that he was like a super fan and, and I definitely, I know, I know like vague Batman stuff, uh, but I'm not a super fan of Batman. So I was like, I'm not not entirely sure what you mean by that. Yeah, (laughs) I've I've conducted a few of those red carpet interviews. Uh, There's a a group that I'm a part of, Only Make Believe, that does gala events and they bring on, you know, Broadway people, TV people. Mm -hmm. So I've conducted some of those interviews. And yeah, it is rather interesting to be on that side and asking them questions. And they, they just have to... You know, as you know, you just have to maintain a a pleasant personality. You have to keep the smile, sound coherent, and like you know what you're talking about and move Mm -hmm. on to the next one. Yeah. And I have been on the interview side before, um, and it's tough. It's really hard because on on kind of the same note, you don't know if the person that you're interviewing is going to go off, start talking about some random stuff, and then you kind of have to steer them back on track. And I... um. 
I did a lot of work with Fox five and I was on live news, which had its own thing that was so different than TV and filming. Cause you could kind of stop if you made a mistake, but this, you just kind of have to keep rolling with it. And um, they did a really cool Comic-Con coverage where I would dress up in cosplay and kind of go out and interview people with kids my age and it was so hard because some of these kids would just start talking about the most random things. And I'd have to be like, okay, anyway, what are you doing at the con? <laughs> so I can see from kind of both point of views how it is. It's difficult on both sides. Yeah, yeah. I definitely found myself making sure that my questions were co- coherent, that mm-hmm. I wasn't stammering, that I, you know, that I was also pleasant and sounded like I knew yeah. what I was talking about. So yeah, there's definitely something to say for both the interviewee as mm-hmm. well as the interviewer that you both kind of have to be on your game when it yeah. comes to those kind of red carpet things. Mm-hmm. And um, and and you brought up that, uh, that kid segment that you did for yes. that San Diego news station. How exactly did that, that come about and, and what was your main function or, or what kind of... Uh, interview segments were you doing? Well, it all started because I was being interviewed for my work on True Blood. And then they just really liked my interview and they were like, oh, you should come and do a segment. And it was tough because it was all the way down in San Diego and I had to be on live all prepared by like 9 a.m. And so it was really tough because Because where you were living, I assume that's like a two hour, hour and a half, two hour drive? It's about two to three hours. Okay. And it was, it was really tough. And my grandparents would come along with us and then we'd go spend the day like doing something fun in San Diego after I'd go do schoolwork for a little bit. And then we go to like Balboa Park and visit the different museums. Um, But the segment was kind of like keeping up with kids like trends. And so it kind of started as like, here's the newest movie that came out and here's, Justin Bieber's newest song. Like it was, it kind of started out like that. And then it felt a little awkward at first because I'm not like super hip and trendy. And so <laughs> it kind of uh, blended into um, crafts for kids that kind of correlated with like holidays or different events. Like um, we did like a bunch of ones for like, Christmas and Hanukkah and April Fool's Day and St. Patrick's Day and Easter and Passover. We did all the different things. We did tons of stuff. And Pinterest was our best friend. Uh, and my mom and I really worked. My mom did a lot of the work of like finding stuff and searching for things and I'd help her make it. And and we'd go over the script and it was really, really tough. And I remember it, I was so nervous for like the first four years and it lasted about four years. Oh, wow. Um, that that yeah. is a long time. It's a and, very and, long and time. And how often were the segments airing? It was once a week for the first, like, maybe two to three years. And then it would be once a month uh, from there because it just got so hard to do the once a week segments. But it was really tough being able to remember because you couldn't have a script in front of you. And Mm -hmm. the segments were about 10 minutes long. And trying to remember the steps to each craft, the ingredients for the food that we presented. And it it was really tough. But luckily, I worked with a fantastic anchor, uh, Raul. And he was so nice and kind of really worked with me. We had a really great dynamic that kind of helped. We helped each other and he helped me move from topic to topic and I helped explain everything. And uh, I was really, really lucky that I got put with someone who I had a really good chemistry with and really great dynamic because I felt like it would have been way harder if I didn't have that. 
Well, and and that's such a different kind of skill. I mean, you, you know, you got started in theater, that live mm-hmm. kind of performance, but but everything's memorized, staged, it's choreographed, you know exactly what you're yeah. doing. But a live setting like that where you, you have an audience or you're talking to someone who you're not really sure where it's going to go, what the conversation, what's going to happen there, it really is a different kind of skill. It is. And you never know what can go wrong. It's pretty tough. I feel like mics have died before right in the middle of the segment. And then we're just kind of like stuck on camera trying to be like, okay, yeah, everything's fine while we're trying to like fix our mics. So you definitely have that added anxiety of like, who knows what could go wrong. I'm I'm curious about the expectations, not only, I guess, of people who know you from True Bloods, they, they expect you to be a certain way or a certain kind of actress, but also the expectations that you have for yourself going forward, the, the type of actress you want to be, the kind of person and, and career that you want to have in the future. I feel like a lot of people expect me to be very put together and very, you know, professional because that's how, that's how I like to present myself. But I am just a normal teenage girl. I have anime posters on my wall. I sit here and I play video games all day and I procrastinate my homework just like everyone else. And so I feel like a lot of people expect me to like have this perfect life and be like super put together when that's not always the case. Um, as for my career, I'm noticing that I'm not drifting away from acting, but I'm focusing on some other stuff. And I've really, through acting, I found things I'm really passionate about. And I really want to pursue um, theme parks. I, because of my ties with my acting, I started promoting stuff for Knott's Berry Farm, which is a park in California. And I just absolutely fell in love with the park. And they have a Halloween event called Knott's Scary Farm which is like haunted mazes and all the scary stuff. And like I said, I've always loved Halloween and scary stuff. And I just, I fell in love with the park and I really want to be able to to design either mazes or things around the park and kind of, that's kind of where I was originally thinking, but now I'm thinking I would like to move into like focusing on more of the entertainment sides, like organizing shows and uh, par- parade. They don't really have parades, but in just in theme parks, organizing shows, parades, entertainment spots, events. Um, and that's something that I feel like my acting career has really prepared me for because working with shows, you obviously work with actors and I noticed that some of my favorite directors are people that were actors because they know how to talk to you mm. and they know the terminology and what to say and how to direct you in a way that would make sense. And I feel like that would really give me an advantage in that section of my career. And I also think that because I've been on set, I've kind of had that director point of view where it would be very helpful for me to kind of oversee entertainment as like the lens of a director. And when you think about it, theme parks and entertainment is very similar to acting because it's putting on an extravagant show for people. The minute they walk through those doors, they're transported to a whole new world. Like when you think of Disneyland, it feels totally different when you go there and it's a big elaborate show. And I think that having someone with an acting background that knows how to how to set up a a camera angle and knowing what people want to see and what's entertaining, I think could be really helpful in that department. Would you ever want to perform at one of these theme parks? Yeah. In fact, um, obviously when Corona is all over, um, I actually wanted to go and do like the characters 
be like be a character and be a performer. I thought about going to, uh, you know, be friends with the princesses at Disneyland because <laughs> I think that would be so much fun. And especially getting to work with little kids and seeing them just light up would just be so much fun. So that's something I'm really looking forward to doing soon. Yeah, I mean that's Disney has been very good to me in my career. I've I've worked in mm-hmm. different aspects with them, both from Disney World to the cruise ships to very Tokyo cool. Disney. So yeah, I love yeah. Tokyo Disney. Yeah, yeah, Disney. Disney's yeah. been really good to me, and they. It's it's interesting because it, it's a corporation. It's all mm-hmm. about business, but at the same time, they really do value the the entertainment and what the guests you know, walk away with it, the enjoyment that they have it. As you mentioned that the kids, I mean, that is, that's always something so that they wonderful. promote. It's about the families, mm-hmm. the kids and, and what they're going to enjoy. And it sounds like that with your background of being a kid and being uh, a, a performer, that you kind of have even a, a better understanding of, of what these kids are, are, are wanting, what they're looking for mm-hmm. and the kind of experience that they're going to enjoy. Yeah. I've had a Disney pass. Well, not anymore, but I had a Disney pass since I was like one year old and my mom and I would go every single week. Like, And so I really grew up at the park. So I know what little kids, that, I know that magic, that magic that they're experiencing. And something I really love about Knott's is because yes, they're owned by Cedar Fair, um, but they really are it's pretty small. It's not a huge corporation like Disneyland. And so it feels very homemade. It feels like everyone there knows each other. And I, because I've worked with Knott's Berry Farm, I get to see a lot of the behind the scenes. And I get to see that everyone who works there really is happy and loves their job. And it just, it feels very warm and inviting. And that's something that really stands out to me. And I feel like with Disneyland, obviously it's such a big corporation that it would be kind of hard to get to know a lot of the people that work there. And I feel like something that Knott's has is that really like that family aspect that I think really just stands out to me. Yeah, it sounds like that, and this is a question I ask a lot, but it sounds like that success to you, making it to you, really depends more upon how others are are, are treated, the enjoyment, mm-hmm. the experience that they have more so than anything that you personally are getting out of it. Would Would you say that that's probably true? I would definitely say that's true. And I feel like it's not like for me, it isn't really like, oh, I want power. I want to run everything. I want to obviously do my work and I want to be successful in my own role. But I also want other people. I never want to be successful at the misfortune of others. Mm-hmm. I, that's not how I, I want to go about things because it feels like it's, if you have to step on other people's toes in order to get to where you want to be, that's not really earning it. That's not the right way of going about and it. And that's probably not somewhere you want to be if you had exactly, to go that route. Exactly, because then you have a lot of people that are upset with you because you stepped on their toes. And I think, obviously, I want to make enough money to where I can support myself and my family, but I also want other people to be taken care of. And I want to be equal with others. And I want people to feel valued in their position, in their job. And I also want to make people, guests who are experiencing this, I want them to feel happy and comfortable and valued. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's that's such a great attitude to to have because so much of what we do, it, it especially I would imagine in TV, film, with theater, you you recognize that the audience mm-hmm. is there. You know that there is an immediate interaction between the the performer mm-hmm. and the people watching. In TV, film, it can be a little bit more insulated in the way that you're on set. You're surrounded by other actors. You're surrounded by other creatives and people working on the set. And you get that delayed reaction as far as how people are going to take that yeah. TV film. So it can it can be easy to forget the reason why you're performing, especially mm-hmm. behind a camera. Yeah, it can get tough. But luckily, when you're performing behind a camera, you have everyone on set with you. And everyone, you know, cheers and claps and they give you really good feedback. So you're hoping that the audience will kind of agree with your coworkers on set and how they view it. You're hoping that the audience will have a similar experience. So it is tough. It's very different. And especially when you're working on a project and then it takes so long to get feedback on it, you might've already worked on two other projects and you did the same thing and you couldn't take that feedback. So it is hard um, trying to get critique and fix yourself before the next project. It's a very difficult process. And certainly the performing side of it is something that first got you into wanting to to be on stage and, you know, and, and sing the songs and do the scene yeah. work and be those characters. But at some point that, that business side, and we've been talking about it a little bit, but the business side starts to creep in and you start to understand yeah. that there's more to it than just playing these fun characters. Mm-hmm. What was that like for you as far as when you realized there, there's a business to it, there's all these other uh, requirements and expectations that come with being an actor? Yeah, well, I have to say that at the beginning of my career, I was definitely a bit more successful. I was able to get a lot of commercials and and different roles. And then as I got older, it really slowed down. And then I started to think like, is there is there something wrong with me? Like, is like, am I not good enough anymore? Have I gotten too confident in myself and now I'm not good? Um, but I realized that there are so many aspects that come into play when it, when with an audition or getting a role that it isn't usually your acting isn't good enough. It's because your parents are blonde and you're a brunette or it's, you look like the director's sister who he just had a fight with and he didn't like you because of it. There's so many different factors that come into play, but it is really hard when you're facing a lot of rejection to think, Am I still good enough? Do people still like me? Should I even keep doing this? And so I have to say that it's a really tough part about that. And I have a lot of friends in the in the acting world that were successful as kids and had a very similar experience with me. And I've just seen them get really burnt out and jaded by the the industry. And it is it is upsetting. And and I have to admit, I have to be honest and say that I feel that way sometimes where I'm like, I get an audition and sometimes I'm like, why am I even doing this? Like, I'm not going to get this role. Why am I even auditioning? And, and, and it's, believe me, that that never yeah. goes away. That's that's something that even now, especially as self tapes become more prevalent and kind of the standard now, it it th- there's even less of a connection. There's one thing to connect to the character, the lines, the sides you have to do, but then you you also do it because you're connecting with the casting directors or the director mm-hmm. that's in the room, and now that's kind of gone. And yeah. and so there, it's a very insulated experience now that it didn't used to be. So auditioning can can be even more kind of throw your hands up like, well, does it even matter what I do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely understand that. And I know a lot of people are like, 
oh no, I never give up. And it's like, <laughs> that, that's not realistic. You have to look at it in a realistic way of sometimes you're going to feel defeated and beat down by the industry. And that's okay. It's all right to feel that way, but you have to keep going. And I just recently got a voiceover for something that looked really, really cool. And I put my heart and soul into it and I didn't hear anything back. And I was pretty disappointed, but that meant it wasn't for me. And I'm very happy with the roles that I have gotten because I, they were meant for me. And so I'm just hoping that the next really cool one's the one that's meant for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chloe. This has been a joy to talk to you. Thank you. I've really enjoyed talking with you. To learn more about Chloe, go to chloe-noel.com and see examples of much of her work that we've discussed in this episode. Also, on Friday, you can hear or watch our Final Five interview, either on YouTube or you can get it in your podcast app of choice by supporting Why I'll Never Make It. Learn more by subscribing to the newsletter or visiting whyillnevermakeit.com. Thank you so much for listening and joining Chloe and myself in this conversation. If you know someone who could benefit from an episode like this, then please share this podcast with them. Well, I'm your host, Patrick Oliver-Jones, in charge of writing, editing, and producing this podcast. Music in this episode provided by Kai Engel and Blue Dot Sessions. Publicity provided by Imagine PR Group. Why I'll Never Make It is a part of the Helium Radio Network and a member of the Broadway Makers Alliance. Join me next time for the third installment of this Young Artist series as Joshua Turchin and I talk more about why I'll never make it. Most enterprises use disparate systems to manage spend. The result? A reactive manual approach. CFOs and controllers, you deserve better. You deserve a unified spend platform from Brex. Brex makes it easy to proactively control spend with cards, spend management, travel, and bill pay in one place. You can create budgets with controls built in, track and adjust in real time to keep teams accountable, and automate compliance to close the books faster. Ready to control your spend with one unified platform? Visit Brex.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.